Welcome to the Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, Joe Slack, and joining me today is Brandon Rollins. Brandon is a marketing consultant at FulfillRight, and his main areas of expertise are online marketing and supply chain management. Brandon, thanks so much for being here on the Board Game Binge. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. So, Brandon, we've uh, talked a few times before. You've been on my uh, Board Game Design Virtual Summit, and we've done some guest posts for each other. So I know <laughs> about you quite a bit, and I know that you're uh, you know, quite knowledgeable in the industry, having run campaigns, designed games, and now working uh, on fulfillment. So I was really excited to have the chance to talk to you and uh, pick your brain and share your expertise with the audience. Absolutely. And I'm here to answer any questions you've got. Fantastic. Well, why don't we uh, jump in a little bit with a little bit of uh, your background? So maybe you can tell uh, the viewers and listeners a little bit more about yourself and how you got into board gaming and uh, the board game design world, first of all. I'll be honest with you, that's a pretty chaotic story. So I'm going to cut to the to the good parts for that. I actually designed my own my first game in 2016. And it was called Warco. It was an expandable card game based on something that I had done much, much earlier as a child. So I went to Kickstarter with this, raise $12,000 or something like that. It was a pretty small campaign. And through that process, just had a crash course in everything from playtesting to, you know, materials, uh, design, supply chain management, all of that stuff. And it was such an unbelievably complicated process that I started to just write about it. I started working on another game after that. And then another one uh, that was called Tasty Humans also launched on Kickstarter. And even those these were really, really small, out of the, uh, uh, mostly designed in my basement kind of games. I was like, if I write enough about this and just kind of detail out the process, maybe it will help people. And so I collected all this on my blog, which was Brandon the Game Dev, which is still out there. From that, I actually ended up getting an email from Charlie Brieger, who runs FulfillRight, and I ended up doing some consulting after that, after exchanging a few blog posts together. But how I got into it, the very short version is, I just kind of chaotically jumped into making my first game and learned the hard way. <laughs> learn the ropes, learn, learn on mm -hmm. the fly, as they say, on, on the job experience, which is sometimes best, but sometimes mm -hmm. chaotic, as you mentioned. Yeah, the fly by the seat of your pants method. <laughs> Absolutely. So maybe you can tell everybody what is Fulfill Right. So this is a multi-part question. So what is Fulfill Right? How did you start working with them? Um, and then how does Fulfill Right help board game creators? So Fulfill Right is an order fulfillment center for crowdfunding and e-commerce. Now, a lot of people in the board game world were, will know them for being one of the companies that fulfills board game Kickstarters, particularly in the USA where the company is located. But Fulfillrate actually ships for a lot of different companies in a lot of different industries. So the pitch is actually really, really straightforward. They just help people ship out their items, which is a necessary part of just uh, crowdfunding e-commerce, which we'll talk about more later. Um, as for how I started working with them, I actually, it was through the game development blog that I was working on at the time. We started exchanging blog posts back and forth. You notice I was writing some about shipping. Um, the CEO, that is, he reached out to me, decided he would like a guest post on particularly how board games are shipped and the particular challenges with that. 
Um, and we, he noticed that I had some relevant marketing skills. His, I think like his director of marketing had left in a hurry and he needed some help with some projects as well. So I just started picking some of that up on a consulting basis and ended up building a marketing agency out of that once I realized like, oh, this is actually going to go on for a while. Very cool. And um, I know you have a lot of experience with crowdfunding and fulfillment, uh, both on your own past campaigns and also in your current role. So what are some of the biggest problems you see that a creator can get into if they don't really know that much about shipping and fulfillment when they get started? So one of the big issues, honestly, is just not hiring help when you need it. So it's become kind of conventional wisdom at this point that you need to hire an order fulfillment center for a Kickstarter. So it's a little bit different than say talking about this five years ago, we we're still kind of having to make the pitch like you need a fulfillment center. A lot of people know this now. The question is, when does it actually make sense to work with a fulfillment center? And getting the answer to that wrong is actually one of the first places where some folks can go, um, where things can start to go off the rails. To me, the kind of the point at which you need help actually shipping out a Kickstarter is probably somewhere around 200, 250 orders, because that's where it gets to be a lot to do on your own. Because um, here's the thing, a small Kickstarter, you can have the inventory go to your home, you can pack up the orders, you can send them out in the mail, and they'll probably cost a lot because you're sending them to a lot of different places. You might have to cover like some customs charges, but the thing is that will be cheaper than actually hiring help at a small scale. Once you start crossing like 200, 250 orders, you really need help because it is A, too much to handle alone or with your friends with like a box of pizza or something. And uh, it's just like, it starts to actually cost way too much because the labor costs the fulfillment center will charge you will actually end up being lower than the extra you pay on postage just because you're uh, buying it individually. That's the first thing that can go wrong. I think the next major one is if you decide to hire a fulfillment center, you've got to do your research. Um, even, even if you want to use Fulfillrite, I mean, still, you've got to do your due diligence on this. It's so important. Um, a lot of folks will just kind of go with the first name they hear, or they'll do a little bit of light research, or they don't really know what they're looking for when vetting the right fulfillment center. So that itself is like an entire podcast. I've done a, literally an entire webinar on that um, through, I think it was LaunchMoom, but uh, here's a short version of that. You need to find somebody that, a, a company that is really good with communication, just very consistent about getting back to you by email or phone. Ideally, they give you an account manager, somebody you can, a specific person you can contact if something goes wrong instead of an account manager. You'll want to make sure that they are located at least reasonably close to your backers. Um, <laughs> if you've got a lot of people in Europe, you're going to want a fulfillment center in Europe and that sort of thing. Um, and of course, once you do that research and, and just make sure the online reviews are good and that sort of thing, you want to check their prices and just make sure they're reasonable. Not necessarily the cheapest, just reasonable in that right ballpark. So if you do your research, you can actually find a great fulfillment partner. There's tons of them um, and, and, and it will save a lot of time. Do that wrong and things can actually... Um, get really complicated really quickly and it can cause a lot of delays in fulfillment of a campaign. Third thing that can go wrong, third big thing anyway, I think is just uh, 
specifically with order fulfillment. Forget freight for a minute. <laughs> that's a whole that's a whole other thing. But specifically order fulfillment, if you don't notify the warehouse that the shipment is incoming on a certain date and you don't tell them what is in the truckload when it is set to arrive, what'll happen is a truck can just show up at a warehouse and nobody's expecting it and they don't know what's on the truck. So the fulfillment center has a couple of options. They can either turn them away, which some places will do, or they can offload the truck, go out of their way to figure out what is there, manually count everything, and then match it to whoever they've been talking to in their system, and then charge you a whole bunch for it because that's a ton of labor to go into it. So the absolute biggest thing like a Kickstarter creator can do to avoid this thing that can cause a couple of weeks of delay and a whole lot of extra money and charges is just file a warehouse receiving order on time. Tell them when the inventory is going to arrive, how much is on there, and preferably tell them how big the games are, how much they're going to weigh as well. Excellent. Yeah, lots of great advice there. And you touched on a few things that I'd, I'd love to go a little uh, deeper on. Um, one of them, you were talking about, you know, the the aspect of freight as well, which mm -hmm. is a separate component. So that's one thing that people have to know as well. You know, when you get your game made, uh, presumably in China, because that's where most games are made, uh, they don't, they're not just automatically going to get from there to your backers or from there to your fulfillment center. Mm -hmm. You have to work out um, getting them uh, to the port and then getting them loaded onto a ship and then travel across to another port, get them unloaded there, mm -hmm. get them to your fulfillment center. Fulfillment center gets all the boxes ready and then gets them to your individual backers. And if you have multiple mm -hmm. fulfillment centers, there's multiple of those things going on. Yes. And, oh, and, absolutely. Yeah. So, th so there's a lot of, of other things going on. And you mentioned having uh, the fulfillment center know that your order is coming in, when it's coming in, how big the order is, how big the boxes are. So they're prepared for it. Um, but I know in my experience, I don't know if, if uh, you do this as well. Uh, quite often, I found that the fulfillment center I'm working with also has a sort of preferred freight shipper that they work with, or at least they, they manage things with other freight shipping companies. And you might be able to go through the fulfillment center to organize that freight shipping so that everybody's in the loop. And then that's kind of one last thing for you have to do as a creator as well. And it's somebody they already work with. Is, is that something that a creator should think about? A lot of fulfillment centers are actually starting to offer freight services to make things easier just on the backers because they, they've identified exactly what you've talked about. It, it's, it's tough to coordinate with a fulfillment center and also a customs broker or a freight broker at the same time. It's just like, it's a lot of different conversations going on with different parties. Some of them are starting to do that. And Fulfillerate actually just like two weeks ago, as of the time we're recording this, started offering this on a pilot basis for some customers. Um, in terms of just booking freight, you've got a handful of options. You can hire a broker. I think this is what Jamie Stegmeyer does. It makes a ton of sense when you're talking about the book of business that he's got. Um, you can go through a freight marketplace like Freightos which I've done that myself. It's kind of like booking a hotel through Expedia. Um, so you just go in there, you type in what you're shipping, where you're shipping it from, where it's going to. And you can go with that. You'll come up with a bunch of quotes and you pick one and then they put you in touch with the right people. That's another possibility. Sometimes the manufacturer will handle it all for you, which is awesome, expensive, but awesome when they do it. Because uh, you can ask certain manufacturers if they will ship ddp which is delivery duty paid and there 
from there, their responsibility is basically get those games on a boat, get that boat to the to ship things to the port, and then get a truck to pick those up from the port, send it to the warehouse, and then pay for the customs along the way and just kind of bill you for what they need to bill you for. Awesome but expensive. And now, again, there's that new option, which is starting to pop up more. Fulfillment Center takes care of it for you. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that can alleviate a lot of concerns. And and even you don't have to worry about being the one to say the shipment is coming at such a certain time. They're already in touch with that free shipping company or that broker, or they're doing it themselves. Um, yeah, there's there. So there's a lot to, to think about in there. And you mentioned uh, delivery duty paid and, and the alternative is delivery duty unpaid. And we know mm-hmm. a lot of Kickstarter creators will want to put those logos on there that show that this campaign is, um, you know, uh, what's the term they use um customs friendly or oh yeah eu eu friendly for example so that really means that the backers when they receive their game they won't have to pay customs fees and vats and everything that's all already covered um so i I think that's an important point too to think about is when you're when you're doing this uh you know your fulfillment center can can let you know how they handle things to different countries to different regions if you know they can um basically collect the VAT and just bill you back for it, which can make it a lot easier on a creator than having to open a VAT account in Europe if you're in North America and that type of thing. Um, So maybe you could talk a little bit more about what creators uh, can do to make sure that, you know, they're, they're covering all the bases with VAT and customs. So here's how customs friendliness works. Broadly, you have three options on how to handle customs. If you are if you're running a really small operation and you are working out of your house, out of a single place, or with a fulfillment center that doesn't offer something I'll cover in the next op- in, in the next um, option, what you will really need to do is just ship from where you are and then reimburse customers for the bills. Now, I don't love this option for a lot of reasons because then they have to send you pictures or receipts and you got to find like PayPal's and Venmo's and that sort of thing. But... If you're shipping a small campaign under $10,000, $15,000, it might actually be the smartest thing to do. And some items are so cheap that they don't actually ca- they don't actually incur customs charges because the countries that are importing them say this isn't even worth taxing. I think for most of Europe it's like 150 euros or something like that. I'd have to check that. It's been a while and the rules change quite a bit on that. Um different by every country. Some a lot of games can just kind of slip into countries and not get charged VAT for it. But most of them, you probably will have to pay VAT and customs on. You've got your second option, which is you can work with a fulfillment center. And maybe you might even be able to do this yourself if you look in the right place. And you can ask them to deliver duty paid. Now, Fulfillerite does this through a service called Ascendia. Ascendia can ship from America to anywhere in the world and cover the customs charges and the VAT on behalf of the person who is receiving the package. And you end up paying for the customs and VAT. Now I'll say that if you're running a relatively modest campaign, the kind that doesn't warrant having several warehouses throughout the world, this is probably your best option. Those customs charges are a lot. They really, really are. But you know it can often be cheaper than managing a whole second warehouse and having a whole separate freight shipment go to a whole separate warehouse. So that can work. So you, those those charges can add up quite quickly, but it's a clean option for having everything in one place. 
And then your third option, which is what you see the vast majority of big campaigns do. They have a warehouse in the US, they have one in Canada, they have one in the European Union, and they probably have one in the UK now as well, um, because that has also changed in recent years. They'll have one in the kind of Australia Australia, Southeast Asia sort of area to kind of generally service that area as well. Um, and, and that's what they'll do. They'll ship American orders out of their American warehouse, Canadian orders out of their Canadian warehouse, and so on. Um, and honestly, if you're running a really big campaign, that's what you should probably do. You should probably get four or five different warehouses and then kind of split up your shipments there. Um, and that way, they'll ship from a location close to the backer your postage costs will go down. You won't run into customs charges nearly as often. Um, and let's see, I, I mean, it just, it keeps, it can keep costs in check when you scale. The, the main decision about whether you should do that comes down to, is my campaign worth breaking up my freight shipment into multiple different um, cargo loads going to different places? Yeah, and I'd love to dive into that a bit more because um, I know I've used multiple fulfillment centers um, in the past because I figured I had enough um, games going to one region and they might want some kind of leftover in case retailers want to order some more and they're close by. But what are some of the pros and cons that you find about using maybe one fulfillment center versus uh, multiple around the world? So working with one fulfillment center, what you can often do is just talk to one particular person when something goes wrong. And it, it really does make it easier. The communication is easy. You only have to export the file from Kickstarter backer kit, wherever you're, you're storing those addresses from one place and send it to one company. It's quite simple that way. You work with multiple different warehouses. You're going to have to break that up into you know, different files go to different places. You talk to different people when shipments are lost or damaged and that sort of thing. One way around this would be if you use a a really a global fulfillment center with multiple different warehouse locations throughout the world. But even that can be a that can be tricky too because then you're um, you're working with a giant corporation for better or for worse. You know what you're getting into with that. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so, I, I'm just thinking about pros and cons of um, working with one warehouse over multiple. So yeah, that that's the deal with the single warehouses. It's easier to contact somebody when there is a problem. Multiple warehouses, however, if you find the right ones and you are capable of handling the technical issues that come with sort of splitting orders across multiple places, and, and you really do your research and you find the right partners, that's critical, it's going to be cheaper at scale anyway. If you've got a lot of shipments to send, it's going to be cheaper because sending something from the US to Europe, a let's say a Mysterium sized board game, something like that, it could be $35 or more. And to, that's shipping relatively slowly. It's just a ballpark estimate. Um, and it depends on where it's going. I mean, you could, I have paid $50, $60 to send mid sized games to Australia. It's, wild but if you send a game to australia if you pay for the freight shipment um and you've got a warehouse there it's probably like eight bucks to get it from uh you know um perth to sydney or something it's not that expensive the question really that you have to ask yourself is um what's going to work in my particular scenario and the only way you can really really know the answer 
is to price this out in a spreadsheet, put, put your freight in one in, in one row and put your posted, your estimated average postage costs in another and just see what is going to work in your particular scenario. There's no, there's no shortcut to it. There's no like this number of orders do this, this number of orders do that. You have to actually price it out. Yeah. Really comes down to, it depends. It depends on the scale of this. Yes. And- um, what really makes sense in comparing those prices. Uh, because also when you're doing freight shipping, uh, if you're shipping, say, a container of games, which is quite a large number, you're going to get a better rate than if you're shipping a few pallets and you're going to get a better rate for a few pallets than, say, one pallet or a half a pallet. Uh, so you could be spending a lot uh, per game freight shipping the game to that destination to get a, a lower fulfillment cost. Yeah. So it can, it can go either way, uh, depending on your numbers as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And you mentioned a little bit about um, fulfilling a game yourself. I know you've done this in the past and also worked mm-hmm. with fulfilling companies. And you talked about kind of that 250 mark kind of being that borderline uh, between uh, wanting to do it yourself, perhaps, mm-hmm. versus hiring somebody out. Um, is there any other uh, circumstances or any other reasons you might want to consider doing doing this yourself? Would, will you actually save money this way by doing yourself or is it even worth the hassle? Up to an extent, you will. Because a lot of warehouses, the the whole, it comes down to the operations of the warehouse itself. They have to have people who are doing a certain amount of order volume for it to make sense to set them up in their system, get people to know where they need to find the inventory, and a lot of the other kind of organizational administrative things that come with setting up a new account. So no matter where you look, they either will have an order minimum of some sort, or they will have basically a de facto order minimum where they have a minimum charge that you pay per month. Um, and and at that point, it's like, well, if you, if you can't meet that monthly minimum, then you are essentially um, paying more than you would do on your own. I'll say that uh, having done this, <laughs> having done this myself individually, you can actually save some money, at least on low order volume at first. If you're really savvy about it, if you've got a label printer that saves you on ink, if you buy your postage from a discount seller like PayPal, Easy Ship, ShipStation, what have you, you can save a lot of money on that. And then you can just have UP, uh, USPS or UPS pick it up from your home in some cases, at least in small amounts. Bigger ones, you actually have to drive it out to the post office. Um, you, you can save money on the small scale. But a uh, hundred orders, I would say a hundred orders is an afternoon's work. It's about five or six hours of work easily. Um, at a certain point, you have to start factoring in the value of your time as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If you have a stomach for it, you can fulfill as many orders as you want <laughs> on, on your own. You can, but it's like, how much room do you have in your home or your office? Um do you want to buy a storage unit? <laughs> it's like, can you have giant pallets delivered to the place that you live or work? And for a lot of folks, like if you work in a, if you live in an apartment, like you cannot have a pallet shit there. It does not work that way. Um, these, these are the kind of considerations as well. Yeah. If you're in an apartment, you might have to, you know, book the elevator for two hours and just, you know, you and a couple of friends just be like loading it up, taking it up to your apartment. And then where are you going to store them? And I've, I've I lived in an apartment when I shipped to Warco, actually. Um, and what we did, I lived in Chattanooga, did at the time still do. Um, so what we did 
is our shipment got shipped to a warehouse in North Georgia, which is right over the state line. It's not nearly as far as it's away as it sounds. It's like 15 minutes. We drove over the state line, my brother and I. We had two beater cars at the time, like really, really old cars. We loaded up the trunks and the back seats, both of them, with just all the boxes of all the games that we needed to, that we just received. Drove back to the apartment, took a good hour, hour and a half, lifting 20 pound boxes two at a time, uh, and just taking them inside because it's one of those apartments where the door is on the outside. So relatively easy, didn't have to go through like many flights of stairs or anything like that. And it was still a lot. And then the only place that was big enough was the living room, of course. So all that just sat in the living room until I was able to individually pack these boxes. He was working at the time, so he couldn't help me out with the shipping. Um, I had to start individually packing boxes to go out to packers. Um, and then the rest just kind of sat there until I found like a, a storage solution for that and then started selling the rest. The question is, can you handle that? <laughs> yeah. And, and for, for the other one, I, I've done Tasty Humans. You've asked about um, shipping through a fulfillment center. Now, at that time, we had like 900 or 1,000 games that had to go. It was, it was like it was a lot. It was a lot relative to what I had done the last time, which was closer to 130. We were all very pleased with it, but I was like 900 full-size board games and not just card games this time. Like this has to go to a fulfillment center. I was consulting with Fulfillment at the time. And I was like, hey, can you guys just do this for me? Like as a as a favor, like a reduced price. So so that's how we worked that out. Um, got three pallets of games sent their way. And instead of me having to pack everything on my own, to them, it was a relatively minor project. They're like, oh, less than a thousand units to ship. Yeah, this will be a cinch, right? They've handled it in like a day or two. It was, it was like it arrived and it was gone. So they just pull three pallets off the truck with their forklifts. They don't even pack it in inventory because it's Kickstarter. They know it's gonna, it's gonna be gone in an, as as like within a day or two. They don't even have to store most of it in inventory. Left it on the floor, packed it to backers because I already uploaded that information. It was out in the mail very shortly after that and the remaining 250 or so from the print run they just put in storage until they uh until i had it fedex uh, had them fedex the rest of it where it needed to go yeah makes sense a lot less hassle <laughs> yeah and and the things that you might not think about or, or the creators out there might not think about is uh yeah you get all these games in your house you have to store them you have to get them there but you need an individual box for every one of those so you're gonna have to you know go to uline or somewhere else get all these boxes mm -hmm. make sure they're all the right size pack them all up label all of them uh mm -hmm. get them to the post office i'm sure the post office isn't happy to see you you know come in with you know 300 game 300 boxes they don't like it I'll, I'll tell you that they don't <laughs> so yeah it's just just a lot more hassle so definitely if you're you know got any kind of volume uh you want to at least look into um yeah and and i i priced it out what would it have cost me if i had not had the discount of having already consulted with them at the time and and just being like basically a friend of the company i priced this out like would it have been cheaper to do this on my own and the answer is a very very clear no because first of all, you know, I live quite a bit further inland than they do relative to the nearest port. Okay, so first of all, that's the first killer, right? A truckload going from the port of New York and New Jersey to like central Jersey where Fulfill Rights located, um, much cheaper than sending one from the port of Savannah all the way to Chattanooga, which is between Nashville and Atlanta. That is a one hour drive versus a six hour drive. Most fulfillment centers are located 
close to these kinds of ports and airports for this very reason. So boom, I would have gotten nailed on freight immediately. Then it's like, okay, the Fulfillery had lower prices on postage as all fulfillment centers do because they ship a lot. So it's like, I save on postage. They buy supplies in bulk. I save on supplies. You know, um, you add all this together and you then add back their labor, the storage costs, the account fees, all the stuff that would like kind of be associated with that. And it would, it would, it would even have still been cheaper at full price. And you didn't, and, have to and it wasn't close. <laughs> and and like you said, you don't have to do that yourself. Uh, it's all that hour, those hours, your time, your friend's time, or whatnot. That's right. You you can't discount your time. Your time is valuable. I've dropped 130 packages off at the post office in one go. They don't like that. I can't imagine what 900 or a thousand would look like. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and just recently, um, some people in the industry have heard that uh, Fun Again, which is also a fulfillment company, mm -hmm. um, announced they're going out of business. And you know, anybody that they're working with, you know, you have to find somebody else unless you know you're already in the books for us. You know, getting your games out kind of within this short time frame. Um, how do you think this is going to impact Fulfill Right and maybe the industry? So here's the thing: it's a big world, and there's a lot of fulfillment centers that can handle board games really well. So what's going to happen is everybody's going to get a little share of what Funigan was handling. Um, it will probably be good for Fulfill Right in the sense that it's going to be good for anybody who can fulfill board games. We do write a little more board game content. So I guess if somebody's looking up board game fulfillment, they'll be more likely to find us in Google. That might help us on the margins. I don't think it's going to be like a massive world changer, but it will be a nice thing um, on our side. Um, and for what it's worth, we... At Fulfillery, we've got the capacity and the ability to help out anybody who needs a U.S. fulfillment partner in a hurry. And what could a creator do? So let's say I was working with Fun Again and they were going to be fulfilling my Kickstarter campaign or maybe they've, you know, helped me get my games into distribution. And suddenly, you know, they're they're closing up shop. What, what could I do um, when something like this happens? So I don't know exactly what when Funigan will be um, ceasing their services. I'm not sure when that is exactly effective, but odds are, you know, the creators got a couple of months of notice or something like that. So this is the point where as soon as possible, someone's got to just do the research and start looking at all these different possible fulfillment centers and just one by one figure out, is their communication good? Are they able to ship board games well? Do they have a history in this industry? where their online reviews look like. I would just start with from scratch, just vetting fulfillment centers. And then at the end of that, after finding a handful that are worth it, then I'd request quotes and just kind of see what happens with that process. Um, I, I would say just treat it like finding a fulfillment center for the first time. And then as for the actual handover, that is a simple, um, just coordinating a freight shipment. And fun again might, actually do that on their behalf i'm not sure again what that will look like but in all probability they are at least going to help people get stuff out of the warehouse because they're not going to want to pay that lease for too much longer <laughs> yeah they're incentivized to get that moving as well yeah corporate real estate is maddeningly expensive even if you know what you're doing absolutely uh so we're going to go into our final wrap-up question here is there anything else that people should think about that we haven't maybe discussed yet when looking into fulfillment yeah, here's um, here's one a lot of people don't think of. So the, the size of the game that you make is going to have a massive impact on fulfillment. Um, 
the way postage is charged, which is by far not even close, the single biggest factor in how much something costs to ship is determined on how wide, high, and deep uh, a board game is. Basically, it's physical dimensions and the weight. So the thing is, if you can shave even a handful of ounces or inches off that board game box, half an inch, you know, a couple of ounces, it will help. It might, if you're lucky, get you into a lower postage category and charge a lot less to ship wherever it has to go. The breaks tend to be around, well, full pounds when it comes to U.S. shipping. A three pound, 15 ounce package will ship a lot cheaper than a four pound, one ounce package. And it's not fair, but that's just the truth. They got to put the cutoff somewhere. Um, for Europe, it's going to be like a 510 gram package. Well, actually, I guess the rest of the world, honestly, that's using a... a a measurement system that makes sense. <laughs> a 510 pound, a 510 gram package is going to ship a lot more expensively than a 490 gram package because they're doing that half kilo cutoff, that kind of thing. Similarly, um, anything over 12 inches is going to be an oversized package when it comes to board games in the US. I'm not sure what the equivalent is in other countries, but it's probably going to be somewhere around 25 or 30 centimeters. So you want to figure out where those cutoffs are and get just shy of those if possible. If possible, um, and even if you can't quite manage to get a game below the cutoff, this is still a worthwhile exercise because freight shipping does the exact same thing. Um, they, they will charge by weight. They will charge by dimensions. And if the individual packages don't go into a smaller package, they will take up less cubic footage on the pallets that go on the boat. So uh, you'll save money doing that. That's That's a big one that people don't think of. Yeah, really, really good point around the the size and the weight. I know um, I got dinged on my last campaign uh, because I had some some quotes and they didn't fully take into account the outside packaging and the mm -hmm. and and um, and the outer box that was required, and it put it into a new category. And the mm -hmm. shipping price went up, and I actually had to make other arrangements because it increased it you know, by 50 or more percent, uh, just going yes. into the next category. So I had to make other arrangements because the, another company that I was working with, um, you know, they could get a, a better rate. So it wasn't as good as the original rate I got, but better mm -hmm. than the 50% higher rate. So had to re-maneuver everything around. So really make That's sure also point. you get that packaging, like that full, what's that full weight going to be? Yeah. You basically have to add an inch or about two and a half centimeters to every particular direction to account for pack for um, the padding you're going to need. Um, you don't need an enormous amount of padding to ship a board game, but you're going to have to put some some crinkle paper or some places are still using plastic. That's actually falling out of favor for sustainable materials. But you're going to need to put some kind of packaging, some kind of padding in there. It's inevitable if you're really really talented. You can get a game to fit into a USPS flat rate box <laughs> for cheap US shipping. That may or may not be a realistic goal, but if you can manage that even better. But again, you got to have an, about an inch of headroom on, it, on each side. Absolutely. Yeah. And also all, all, allocates a little bit extra for that uh, extra weight because you got the outer box, mm -hmm. you got that packaging and everything else. Yeah. So, Brandon, I, I really appreciate you being here on the board game binge. How can people find out more about Fulfillment Right and the uh, services that you offer? 
you can go to fulfillright.com. And a lot of what you're going to need to find is going to be on the website. I think we might actually have a specific page for you. Do you remember if we have one specifically for you? Yes, uh, there actually is one for me. Yeah, I, I just I want to make sure you get the credit for anybody who ends up being referred our way through this podcast. So, yeah, I think it's like fulfillright.com slash Joe, maybe. Um, I, I'm sure you'll add the link um, in the description of the show notes sure. after the fact. So, yeah, you can go there and read about the services which Fulfillright provides, as well as reviews and case studies. So you can kind of dig into whether Fulfillright will be the right kind of fit. In particular, Fulfillrite's really good with small, lightweight items, which includes most board games, and also crowdfunding and the unique challenges that come along with that. Awesome. Well, Brandon, I really appreciate you sharing all your expertise and your stories about your own fulfillment and, uh, and uh, what people should be looking for when they're fulfilling their game. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you again for having me on. I really appreciate it. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast. Guest hosted by Joe Slack, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you'd like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our Instagram channel, Board Game Binge Podcast, and you'll get notifications of the live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. We can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.